Look, I know a lot of people give Americans a bum rap for being stupid and knowing nothing about the world, but the reality couldn't be further from the truth. As I discovered on the streets here, asking US locals about the very world their country runs. Uh, this world has become so corrupt. As I'm sitting there with a severed head in my hand, talking to it, or looking at it, and I'm about to go crazy, literally. I'm about to go completely flywheel loose and just fall apart. Let's, let's not get let's not get into blood and guts because because that's what you're trying to get into. Come on, fumble butt. Bam, motherfucker! It'll be a miracle if this tape ever is permitted to become knowledge that could spread across the world to even give individuals a chance to know what we have to say. Oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. The snack that's wild, Brad. Goldfish. <laughs> What the hell is that? Goldfish. Oh, Goldfish. they're happy to die. I thought you said it. snaps back, like snack, snap, snap that pussy back, snap, snap that pussy back, snap them, smack them, smack them. What's the cereal? Smacks. Smacks. That leaves those little kernels in your fucking mouth that get yeah. stuck in your gums. Smacks are old man candy. That's depression era candy. Yeah. I mean cereal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across me is Cody. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's good. Everybody's good. We're all good. We're all good, aren't we? It's all good in the hood. Before I forget... I wanted. I had to mention that uh, I got to hang out with Superfan Amy on Monday. Ooh. That feels like a millennium ago, but uh, but yeah, she invited us to a concert of her favorite band or one of her favorite bands. I'm not a fan particularly of Codaline. They are. I don't know. I I call them a Celtic rock group, but it's like the Lumineers if they were actually Irish. I don't. Does that make sense? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Sounds very hipstery to me. It's very, very hipstery. They, uh, <clears throat> I will say Druid, I think, put on a better show, though. Goddamn right we did. Is it rude of me to pretend like I love the music and I was dancing and, like, pounding my fist in the air at No, him? that's being a good friend. What do you think, Adam? I think you did fine. Okay. I don't think you have anything to worry about there. Because they kind of told me I was being a douche, but I... Well, you always are, so... <laughs> I mean, it's not your fault. That's just your face. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. I have a very punchable face, I've been told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a cutie. No, but I was pretending like I knew every song. I was singing in the air. I was pumping my fist. I was pretending like I was radiating with the lead singer. It was. How uh, was the? Uh, what was the mood around you like? Were other people doing that, or were you standing out? <laughs> I'd say a little of both, maybe. Okay, so you were being a cunt, and <laughs> and other people noticed it. <laughs> when it, uh, my favorite part was, I think I told you this, like in between songs. Um, I was like, Amy, I love that you invited me to a Celtic rock group. <laughs> everyone just like turned their head. Like, Shut up. Was, you no. were just trolling IRL. Yeah. So it, it was... sounds like you were a real dickbag to Amy <laughs> on her, no, what no, she wanted no. to see. She was having fun too. She was singing and dancing too. All right. So good. we were all having fun. We all good. had a good time. Good. The ironic thing was, is that we've joked about my Irish racism Yes. Before the concert, we were eating at Blarney's, which is an (laughs) Irish restaurant (laughs) that apparently is somehow sold out of fucking Guinness. That should be a goddamn staple. That doesn't even make sense. I know. What the fuck? So I ended up having a Coors Light, very Irish of me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But no, the the Reuben was amazing. So 
A lot of good corned yeah. beef yeah. on that mofo. I was this close to getting the shepherd's pie. Oh, I'm a shepherd's pie yeah. fan. Of mm. course, we're from the Midwest. Oh. What's it, better than like a delicious <laughs> stew-like substance? Is that like with an antique, potatoes on top. Yeah, an it's antique a, casserole. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much casserole. It's an old hot dish. Really sticks to the ribs. Though. Do you guys like those frozen pot pies? No, no. no. No, not good. I had no. a bad experience with a freezer burned one where I actually took took a huge oh. bite of it and it was like, fuck, that's the worst thing I've ever oh, eaten in my life. Gross. Oh, you know what? I did that this week with, uh, I had, I always keep chocolate milk for like a post-workout. It, I didn't even think about how old oh, it was. Oh, oh, oh. Poured it in the glass, took a huge swig. <laughs> I don't even know how. It, was, oh, it makes me cringe just thinking about oh, the like sourness. disgusting taste. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, should I puke this up? Am I going to get sick? I'm like, ah, fuck it. We'll nah. roll with it. Yeah. See, you let didn't it drink digest. anymore, but it was... <laughs> Of course you didn't drink anymore. <laughs> let me I make sure. Let me make sure this is actually <laughs> bad. Fucking idiot. <laughs> no, I actually went and I was like, "Hey, Shana, taste this. See if you think it's bad." <laughs> She's like, "God damn it, you are gonna get eaten so fast. Yeah, you're so delicious." This is delicious gonna sour your meat. <laughs> and with all that out of the way, we are five minutes in, so let's get right into the meat. Cody, since this is your episode, I want you to introduce what the hell we're talking about today. We are going down under. Down under. Uh, studying so you've a... played Noify Spoony before. <laughs> I don't think that was Australian, but thank you, Jordan. That was uh... <laughs> British, I think. I'm, I'm not good with foreign accents. We are diving into Edward Leonsky, a U.S. soldier who would terrorize Australia during World War II. A World War II serial killer in Australia. Right, American. Right. right. And our information's coming from Murder at Dusk. How a U.S. soldier and smiling psychopath terrorized wartime Melbourne. All right. Should I Melbourne. Say Melbourne or Melbourne? Melbourne. Melbourne. All right. It's by Ian W. Shaw. Very good book. Very in-depth, especially since this guy's kind of... I don't want to say under the radar, but there wasn't like a lot of deep information on him. Never heard of him. So this is this is cool. At the height of World War II, one American soldier would terrorize the streets of Melbourne, which already had enough to deal with, believing that the Japanese could potentially assault their southern country at any moment. Mm. This soldier, as we will learn, took advantage of what we what would be referred to as a brownout happening in Australia. Is that where just everybody takes a shit at the same time? <laughs> I, it could be. To hide it from the Japanese. Yep. We're going to Cover hide Australia. your house and windows and shit, everybody. They can't see you. In early 1942, the Australian government began to print and distribute a large number of patriotic war posters that read, He's coming south. It's fight, work, or perish. Illustrated with a Japanese soldier holding a Tommy gun and a Japanese flag as a backdrop. Oh, oh, oh. oh shit. Japanese didn't use Tommy guns. <laughs> yeah, but the Australians really? don't know that. No. The Thompson what? submachine gun is an American weapon. Hmm. Why the hell would they do that then? I don't Make know. them scarier, maybe? I, I guess. Make them think they're like. They killed the Americans and took their weapons. Yeah. I don't know. Make them think they're like Al Capone. So, the first air raid on Australia occurred on February 19th, 1942, when Darwin was attacked by 242 Japanese aircrafts. At least 235 people were killed in the raid. Occasional attacks on northern Australian towns and airfields continued until November 1943, 
which included 64 raids on Darwin, 9 raids on Horn Island, 4 raids on Broome, 3 raids on Exmouth Gulf, 3 raids on Townsville. I actually didn't know Australia actually got attacked by the Japanese IG fellas. They took some raids. I know. Prior to the bombing of Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the Australian forces were helping fight against the Germans, but when the Japanese became a serious threat, the Prime Minister was attempting to get as many of his men to return home as possible in fear of being attacked by the Japanese. The British could not and would not send aid to them, seeing as they had plenty of their own problems to deal with. A tiny island nation <laughs> is going to have a hard time like yeah. defending... Yeah. No defending sh- two fronts mm-hmm. from the defending their own company from dot their own company <laughs> defending their own country from domination <laughs> and then trying to protect australia would be very rough yeah so prime minister john Curtin said on december 27th 1941 without any inhibitions of any kind i make it quite clear that australia looks to america free of any pangs as to our traditional links or kinship with the United Kingdom. Do you think that was a passive-aggressive attack on British in I that comment? I don't think you can interpret it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> that's very Minnesotan like, of you, sir. Well, fuck you, UK. I'm just going to go over here and <clears throat> see what they can do for me. The Americans would be the perfect country due to the circumstances to ask for assistance. The major cities in Australia were constructing air raid shelters. Plate glass windows were being taped in case of possible bombings or shell blasts, thousands of sandbags were filled and stacked, and playgrounds were being transformed into slit trenches Mm. to possibly use during air raids. Sounds hot as fuck. (laughs) You just hear slit and you you love it, don't you? A slit trench? That sounds fucking hot. (laughs) There would even be talk about evacuating women and children to the countryside. Then there was the brownout, which was enacted in all coastal capital cities a total blackout would be complete overkill but a brownout was still effective against possible attacks sure in melbourne street lamps were screened and in some places every second light bulb was removed some even removed the bulb covered 90 percent with black paint then put the bulb back in its post wow the headlights of cars were covered with only a tiny pinhole for the light to (laughs) shine through to compensate for the risks of accidents, the speed limit was reduced to 35 kilometers an hour or 21.75 miles per hour. That You're is, a sitting duck. <laughs> that is very like specific for miles per hour. Go well, it's just, it, it's just it's just con- <laughs> they use kilometers. Know, We're just Cody. converting it. I'm trying to make <laughs> you a fucking joke yank. Here. You yank. Well, it wasn't funny, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realized that after I said it. I, was I like, disagree. That, that was a uh, swing and a miss. <clears throat> the local trams would have hoods placed over their headlights, the interior lights could be dimmed or turned off while moving, and the conductors were given special lights to see people's tickets and money. Hmm. As you can expect, there were plenty of accidents caused <laughs> by the brownout. <laughs> Biggest one being, no one seemed to care about the speed limit change. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're all too drunk to give a shit. (laughs) With the war, another interesting thing happened. It brought a lot of young men and women from the countryside, men attempting to enlist in the war, and women finding job opportunities. Because of this, it also brought a bit of an epidemic with abuse of alcohol. Mm -hmm. You're correct, Jordan. No, I know. (laughs) Do you know about all this already? 
Well, I know Australians like to drink. <laughs> oh, you're just lot. you're just generalizing them. Okay, well, good. from every one of them that I've ever met, we watch a lot of Aussie Man. Mm. True. When the Victorian Premier Albert Dunstan requested a police report, it found that over the first week of March. 1942, 128 arrests were made. I'm Albert Dunstan, <laughs> and I've made 128 arrests this week. Oop, he's British now. <laughs> no, he's just like a guy looking into it. Oh, okay. So that was all alcohol-related arrests yeah. over one-week period in Australia. With the potential for dying always looming in their minds, who wouldn't want to drink a little bit? <laughs> In the state hotels, trading hours were from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm. All alcohol had to be consumed prior to closing time, which caused a phenomenon known as... Six o'clock swell. Where grown men would quickly order a bunch of drinks and pound as many as they could <laughs> within 15 minutes. I think this is gonna this story's going to be a lot, uh, lot for Jordan. To remind him of himself here. Rings true to him. Closing time, I'll take three. <laughs> In December of 1941, the USS Pensacola was escorting a convoy destined for the Philippines until it was redirected to head for Brinsby. I said that right, right? Brisbane. <laughs> Brinsby, Brisbane. <laughs> Brisbane, sorry. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Supposedly by FDR himself. Ooh. The ship would unload 4,600 American servicemen. On February 1st, 1942... Two more ships were headed for Australia. The USS Phoenix was escorting the Mariposa, and it would begin its two-week journey from San Francisco. Okay. Soon it would unload 4,550 American servicemen at Port Melbourne, headed to the temporary camp located at Caulfield Racecourse. One of those members was U.S. Private Number 32007434, Edward Joseph Leonsky of New York City. Oh, boy. By mid-1943, there would be roughly 200,000 American servicemen in Australia, meaning nearly 3% of the population was American. <laughs> and Melbourne itself <laughs> would never have any less than 15,000 Americans in or around the city. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. That's a lot of them. Australians really would have not known too much about the Americans outside of what Hollywood would have displayed them as. Sure. They would stick out, though, simply because of how different their uniforms looked compared to their Australian counterparts. One young woman in Melbourne said this about the Americans. There are so many things that are different from now, and men had button flies, all army uniforms had button flies, and then along came the Yanks, and they had zippers. <laughs> And you found yourself trying not to look at the zippers. <laughs> zippers are an aphrodisiac, obviously. I mean, I see them and I get turned on immediately. <laughs> They're so much more convenient. Dude, I can't walk around the mall without a raging Is erection. It? Okay, it's kind of like going from zippers, now buttons are kind of the fashions, right? I guess so. I, I mean, they, kind of... they were like five years ago. Everyone's oh, sorry, Mr. Fashionista motherfucker over here. Yeah. All right. We're back to zippers, baby. <laughs> Listen, I buy one new Adidas hoodie, and I'm all of a sudden a <laughs> fashion expert. So you're getting buttons custom installed, installed on that thing, are you? Some, at some point, I, I think I'm just going to do them right along the hood. Good idea. It was also fairly well known that the American soldiers were being paid almost double of what their Australian counterparts. Perhaps what would cause the most tension would be fighting over the ladies. 
Many yeah. women saw the Americans as fun and outgoing. And handsome and not redneckish. <laughs> the Americans are so much more attractive. Very attractive. I think Very this is an Australian woman. Oh, it is, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not trying to get just your oh, own personal thoughts hot, here, Adam. <laughs> she is one hot American lady right there. That's my personal, that's my personal Australian monologue right there. Here we go. The Americans were so much more attractive, very attractive, very considerate, and appropriately very loving. Mm. The Americans grinned broadly and brought a new dimension of manly courtesy towards women. <laughs> Flowers and chocolates were not yet in the standard courting armament of young Australian men. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Marge Simpson, for that. <laughs> I was going to say Melissa Melissa Fint or whatever fuck her name is from Sleeping Beauty. Listen, I can tap into a Crocodile Dundee one out of ten she, attempts. Hey, she, That's, I can't do a woman. Look, she was just a, a crotchety old Australian woman. <laughs> the Australian men thought a bit differently of the American soldiers. A common phrase for them was... Overpaid, oversexed. And over here. Often causing fights and arguments while in social settings. Let's now give an example of a potential argument between them. Private Jordan from the Roll Tide Division says... Oh, Roll Tide. <laughs> what do you think of us stealing your girls? Private Adam of the Vegemite Division replies... <laughs> oh, you didn't steal them. You just sorted them out for us. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Many American officers believed Australian women were promiscuous, saying, American soldiers never meet the higher type of Australian girl because our men have carried on in such a way that to be seen with an American uniform practically identifies a girl as a whore. Jeez. Holy Christ. Zus. <laughs> uh, he's an old school dude, Jeez. I guess. Yeah, he's... Tell us what's on your mind there, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel. Someone makes an appearance in Australia. General Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> and when my eyes close in death, gentlemen, my final thoughts will be of the core and the core and the core. General Douglas MacArthur. Is that his speech? That's, yeah, that's one of his quotes, yeah. Mm. He brought with him his young wife, Jean, his young son, Arthur, the boy's Chinese nanny, and several of MacArthur's Filipino cronies. <laughs> that is literally what it said, his Filipino cronies. I don't know what that means. So an eclectic bunch have made their way to yes. Australia. MacArthur had a black limousine with a license plate that read USA 1, <laughs> and the vehicle would be applauded almost everywhere it went, whether he was in it or not. While MacArthur would be presumably the most famous American in Australia around this time, one soldier we spoke of earlier would give him a run for his money. Now, who exactly is Private Eddie Leonsky? Cody, I have a question for you. Yes. Who exactly is Private Eddie Leonsky? <laughs> Edward Joseph Leonsky was born on December 12, 1917 in New Jersey. Mm. His father's name was John whom was born in Russia in the 1860s. His mother, Amelia, was born in 1888 in Poland, which at the time was still part of the Russian Empire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they met, they had left the country in hopes of the American dream. They would marry in New York City, then soon crossing the Hudson River, headed for New Jersey. 
John Leonsky would find a job as a Stevedore. Stevedore. Stevedore, making just enough money to support his family. A stevedore is a person employed or a contractor engaged at a dock to load and unload cargo from the ships. Yeah, it's a sucky, hard fucking job. It's I was gonna say, that's real. A, that's a very early 1900s job. Definitely. I feel like I could see Jordan doing it though. Definitely. I don't, I don't He's a mason. Why not make the <laughs> Why not make the trek into seafaring? <laughs> they would have four children: Vincent, born in 1909; John, born in 1911. Walter, born in 1914, Helen, born in 1916, and the youngest, Edward, born in 1917. Hmm. I'm sorry, that's five children. That is five kids. Four, including Edward. And there's Edward. that Iowa public school education. <laughs> this was not a happy household. John Leonsky was a severe alcoholic with a bad temper, often taking his rage out by beating his wife and children. <laughs> Hell, that's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Wait, well, not, what's who's the fellow that just beat up a woman in the NFL right now? Real quick, um, uh, Kareem Hunt. Yes, yeah, Kareem, Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Okay, yep. So, and he was uh, just cut. Yeah, he I was. was I was kind of surprised they cut him that fast. Usually, they put him on that weird list thing, yeah, the commissioner's exempt but list. I'm kind of happy about. Yeah, him. I was saying, good on the Chiefs. Fuck him. All right, yep. back to Leonsky. Sorry. Smartly, in 1924, his mother Helen and children fled from the abusive man, heading over to an apartment in New York City. John ended up living alone in New Jer- in his New Jersey home and died there in the late 1920s. R.I.P. The one thing that would never abandon him was his alcohol. You're damn right, and it never will. It'll be with you all the way to the end. Uh, I don't know if that's how you want to go that's down. That's not is how it? you want to go down. <laughs> that, it seems like I'm on a path for that. <laughs> you don't want to go down cirrhotic. Jordan, you may be the next uh, John Leonsky here. Perfect. You might be. Hopefully, Eddie- without the beating the wife part. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie I'm was, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, don't hit no nobody. Please don't hit anybody. Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> Jordan, quit touching me. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie would always come to hate his father, not for the abuse placed upon him, but having to witness his father beating his mother. Not too long after the family relocated, Helen found another man of the Eastern European persuasion. Ooh. Much like her previous husband... He was an alcoholic and abusive. She has a type, doesn't she, boys? <laughs> yep. He would disappear for days on end, which caused the family to breathe a sigh of relief. But sadly, he always would return. Smelling like sauerkraut and his balls <laughs> looking greener than a day in May. Eddie was known for being a bit of a mama's boy. Mm. He loved her and she loved him. But Amelia had an obvious flaw as well. She began to teeter on the edge of alcoholism, barely able to keep a job together enough to support her family. Around 1928, Helen would suffer two severe nervous breakdowns and soon was confined to a New York State hospital. The doctors believed she may have been exhibiting signs of schizophrenia, but ultimately was diagnosed with manic depressive illness. As a young child, Eddie was known for being a bit of a ball of energy, enjoying all sorts of physical and competitive sports. Mm. His favorites included baseball and later handball, which is a game based on rebounding the ball off the wall. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Handball's fun. I don't think I've ever played it. We used to really? play in gym for yeah. like, yeah, to like. For I like, thought that was racquetball, or is that different? No, we played handball, and we played team handball, and that was fun too. So how was handball different than racquetball? 
Well, it's probably around the same rules, right? Like do you have a bat and you no, have a bat you handball. No, you you it's handball. It's, pre- it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> you're going. God, I want to punch you in the head so fucking bad sometimes. Handball. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hand and racquetball. You have a racket. Right. Now ball. let's relate that same Tennis concept ball. over. Okay, so now I get why it's called handball. All right. <laughs> when Eddie entered his teens, he gained another interest. Bodybuilding. Weightlifting soon became his favorite act. Eddie started taking up wrestling and boxing. Oh yes. Known for being fairly skilled in both. The older he got, the more Eddie started to become a bit obsessed with his strength and physical appearance. Mm. Just like Jordan. Mm -hmm. Eddie's compulsory education ended after junior high school. He would continue his... (laughs) Junior high school? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Sorry. Junior... I'm an idiot. That might be the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. You say. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I'm Iowa education. Here we go. I wasn't even gonna bring it up. That was just a weird inflection. Junior yeah. high school. school. Junior high school. <laughs> it's because it was my favorite high school. I had to, had to put that out there. I love it. He would continue his education by enrolling in a three-year secretarial training program at a vocational college in Brooklyn. He actually enjoyed this and ended up graduating 12th in his class of 291. That's pretty impressive, actually. Not bad. After college, he would work in a few small department stores before settling in a job with the Grinsteed Brothers. Grysteed? 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 I don't know. Which was a large chain of grocery stores stretching from the Bronx that is actually still in existence today. Jordan, read us their, uh, their headline. Oh, I will, Cody. Christie has been feeding New Yorkers for over a hundred years. Our company offers fresh meat, like some gabagool, produce, dairy products, like some good mozzarella, baked goods, frozen foods, gourmet foods, and non-food items. We at Christie's strive to make every shopping experience a great shopping experience. Our customers have come to expect the best products and the largest selection in town. <laughs> Thank Beautiful. you, Jordan Greisteed. I, <laughs> I wish we could go there. Initially... We can. <laughs> we could? Yeah. I guess. All we have to do is get a plane ticket. Initially, Eddie was known for being a hard-working, charming employee and soon would be promoted within the business. Slowly, though, his other characteristics soon begin to show their face. When questioned about his strength or physique, he would pick up a 40-kilogram bag of sugar, lifting it over his head with one hand... And continue the conversation he was having. <laughs> he would also begin shortchanging customers and occasionally boasting about his strength to his, sup- his supervisor in an attempt to intimidate them. <laughs> what a beast. This sounds like some shit I could see Brad doing. Certainly. You know what's funny? I That's what I said to you, wasn't it? Yep. As with most petty crimes, it tends to grow into more serious criminal activity. Eddie and his brother John soon began breaking into warehouses in search of items of value to sell. One night, Eddie was busted by a night watchman. Because of his physique, Eddie thought it would be smart to just ignore him. Jeez. So shots would be fired, but missed Eddie. When Eddie reached adulthood, he was still living in the New York City apartment with his mother and siblings, but soon things began to change. Hmm. His brother Vincent disappeared completely from the scene. His sister Helen seemed to be the only child in the family that would constantly hold them together. 
His brother Walter began to show signs of serious mental disturbance and would be confined to an institute diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, kind of like his mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. John Leonsky continued his career as a criminal until he was finally busted and sentenced to two-year prison term, but not before he had married a woman named May Black. Shortly after John was in prison, May and Eddie would begin to have an affair. This Fuck. Was- <laughs> hey, I'm just keeping this up now. I want to reiterate yes. just to keep the audience uh, yes. in check because you're throwing a lot of shit at the yep. wall with yeah. no, yes. no coming back here. Vincent, number one, he right. disappears. He's Nobody knows where he is. Nobody Helen's knows. holding the glue. She's holding the family together. The entire she family. Is the Adam she, she's the Adam. She's the glue that okay. makes the wall. She's the Adam of the clan. Yeah. She is doing my job yep. right now. Yes. Next, we have Walter. He gets paranoid schizophrenia. He's confined to a hospital. Good. Kind of like he's the mother away. was. Yes. Okay. Kind of like the mother away. was. John married a tubby but sassy lady. I don't know if she was tubby. He just said big and blonde. Big and blonde. Okay, maybe so maybe just, like, voluptuous. Yes. yes Thick yes. with two Cs. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. But he's in jail, and now Eddie and May are starting a relationship. Okay, perfect. And Eddie liked May a lot more than May liked Eddie, if that makes sense. Understood. While we obviously know that Eddie was having an affair with May throughout his younger years, there's no mention of previous girlfriends and certainly did not bring a girl home to his beloved mother. Mm. It is believed that no woman was worthy of meeting his mother in his eyes. It's thought Eddie would either view a woman as an angel like his mother or a whore like his sister-in-law, May. Uh, That's pretty typical, right? Yep. Yep. That weird... The Madonna whore complex. Madonna or a whore, basically, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, that's very typical with killers, isn't it? Right. At the age of 23, Eddie was looking like your ideal American soldier, six foot tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, a radiant smile, extremely muscular in tone. Sounds a lot like me. Just like (laughs) J-Dog. And he does have a drinking problem, so I guess he got that going. (laughs) He did have one slight problem keeping him from possibly being the perfect human specimen. He followed the footsteps of his father and began to have quite a drinking problem. There it is. Mm -hmm. Just referenced. With the call of war, Eddie enrolled in the United States Army in February of 1941. Hell yeah. After the initial tests and trials at Fort Dix in New Jersey. (laughs) All right, everybody laugh. Fort Dix. There we go. Eddie. Eddie was sent to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. Why isn't that in Houston? I don't know. It said San Antonio, Texas. Stupid. I don't know. Is Fort Antonio in Houston? (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking furious, though. Is it bad? Every time I hear San Antonio, I think about when you made fun of one of the girls on uh, the Adolfo saga. Do you remember that? Not really. He, He, this girl, this Hispanic girl, renamed herself Carla. And you're like, oh, she sounds like a beautician from San Antonio. <laughs> Every time I see San Antonio, that's all I think of now. That's funny. It's beautiful. All I think of is the hurt the timber puppies put on the spurs the other night. But Ooh. let's continue. You're supposed to be a Bucks fan, you asshole. I love the Bucks too. Mm. There he joined the 52nd Signal Battalion with hundreds of others for basic training. It didn't take long for Eddie to gain a bit of a reputation with his fellow GIs. Mm. He seemed to be completely unable to form close relationships with other soldiers. As mentioned before, Eddie loved boxing, and this time in the Army clearly would have provided the perfect opportunity to spar with other soldiers. 
It didn't take him long until nobody wanted to box him any longer. Sure. He was an animal in there, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because whenever he took one hard punch, he would completely lose control and attempt to beat his partner to death. Sure often having to be restrained by several several other soldiers until he could be calmed down. Eddie would always claim he was not a bully, but relished when others would be afraid of him. He's a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> He's a fucking weirdo, man. Would you box him? No, man. No, I don't box mentally ill people. <laughs> when at the fort is when others really began to take notice of Eddie's dependence on alcohol. Other soldiers whom began as drinking partners with him, such as Private Isidore Bernstein, recalled on a night while drinking with Eddie, he told him he needed a drink to deal with the issue of May Black. Poor, poor John's wife, huh? Another one of his drinking buddies named Private Henry Jacoby recalled while drinking with Eddie. <laughs> uh, he liked to add condiments to his drinks such as salt and pepper, tomato juice, chili, or even <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> have you ever done this, Jordan? No. <laughs> I did have a black and tan once with uh, some like garlic what it, salt. What, what's the one called where you put tomato juice in beer? I thought that was... Michelada. Michelada, okay. Yeah. I had a black and tan, which is half Guinness, half... Or, you know, half dark beer, mm. half light beer. Mm. And it was, for me, it was Guinness and MGD, because I'm not <laughs> okay. <classy>. all right. <laughs> With a little uh, garlic salt in there, it was pretty good, actually. Presumably to impress people, because he always liked to walk across the bar on his hands, just to show how strong he was. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, have you ever done this? No. <laughs> At Wabasha, never? No. We did have some dude do a headstand on the bar for a free beer. Did he... Fall? No. Wow. What a beast. <laughs> yeah. While all this seems like fairly harmless fun, there was something a bit darker going on. Eddie also liked to frequent the Red Light District and had an incident that almost put his military career on ice. On the night of April 13, 1941, Private Eddie Leonsky was detained by the San Antonio police and was charged with assault. What did he do? The girl who he had assaulted was named Beatrice Sanchez. On top of just striking her, he she also claimed that he attempted to choke her, but she had managed to escape. That would be the only thing that ever came of this case. It's not even known if she was actually a prostitute or not. No, wow. char- no charges were filed. Just get it out of here. No, basically. I guess they had too much respect for army people back then, maybe? I guess. Maybe, yeah. It wasn't long until the 52nd Battalion was set to depart camp. In fact, the day they were supposed to, Eddie's Sergeant Murray Cooper found him outside his hunt attempting to cross the street on his hands. (laughs) Hey, Eddie, get the fuck off your hands. When Cooper demanded him to stand up, he barely could. He was clearly drunk, so a few of his fellow soldiers were summoned to get him ready to depart. What the fuck? He was more confident while wasted to walk on his hands than his feet? (laughs) It's like a weird thing he does. He just walks on his feet. I I don't know. Or, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, walking on your hands. That's real fucking weird. Who the fuck walks on their hands? (laughs) My mind is so fucking scatterbrained today. You guys are crazy right now. So... They began to pack his bags for him while Eddie sat crying and saying, <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> he just doesn't want to go. No, he loves Sam, Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. They were all headed for San Francisco after the attack on Pearl Harbor, a lot of them believing they would be headed for Japan. They're going to Fort Los Angeles in San Francisco. <laughs> it was here Eddie would have his first run in with military justice. 
Due to the fear of an assault possibly hitting the west coast from Japan, the soldiers were confined to camp. Eddie was thirsty, though, and he felt he needed to get himself a few drinks from the local bar. <laughs> Gotta lube it up a little. So he simply just walked out. When he returned to camp, he was swiftly arrested and charged with breaking restriction. I hope so. Fined $14 and confined to camp for several days. <laughs> it was January 12, 1942, and they were set to hit the open sea to Melbourne. A lot of his fellow GIs told him he should come out for a drink before they depart. But amazingly, he turned down their offer. What? Our man's is learning some self-control. Because he told them he wouldn't be able to stop once he started. Right, right. Later, he wishes he had because the luxury liner Mariposa was a dry ship like most of the naval Navy's vessels. Oh, and that's a two-week trip. Ooh, it's probably good for him He's going to get some though. shakes going. <laughs> <laughs> On February 1st, the Mariposa would reach the port in Melbourne. The camp that Eddie and his fellow soldiers would stay at was known as Camp Pell, Named after Major Floyd Pell, whom had died when the Japanese attacked the port, he was stationed at in Darwin on the morning of February 19th. Camp Pell was located on 10 acres in Royal Park, initially was given to the Australian Army, before being given to the Americans in February of 1942. Okay. Right. Was you... it given to the Americans <clears throat> for the purpose of and Stationing troop? their soldiers Perfect. there. Yeah. Perfect, great. And uh, Mr. Pell, if you want to know quickly, he was, how was the story? He was stationed there. He seen the Japanese coming. He got in his plane. He started to go up. He made it like 15 feet up in the air. And then they shot the shit out of it. He had to eject. And he landed on the runway. Then they finished him off on the uh, It's fucked, dude. That's pretty that, badass way to go, though. Oh, yeah. but what a sad escape. You're so close. You're like, shit, I almost got away from him. And then it's like, so. And the Japanese are ruthless, so hopefully he was killed on sight and not tortured later. Yeah. No. He, it said he was gunned by machine guns. Perfect. When they passed by perfect. or whatever. So. I mean, not perfect. R.I.P. No. So that's where the camp gets his name. It's kind of cool. Camp Pell. I love it. Eddie's new home was located at Tent 16, Row 4, a group of rectangular tents that housed the members of the 52nd Battalion headquarters. His roommates were Private Joseph... Jordan, try to help me with his name. Uh, Asano Grosio. Ochio Grossi. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt it. Yeah, you, you hit it. You got it. Ochio Grossi. Ochio Grossi. There you go, kid. Vincent Tuzo and Pat... Tuzio. <laughs> and Pat Forino. Hey, you got it. Surprised all New Yorkers. <laughs> I don't believe you. Eddie, though, didn't really like any of them, and since his bed was located close to the door, he barely had to talk to them. Nice. Mm -hmm. Good for good for you, Eddie, I guess. You prick. Antisocial prick. Which is weird. He's from the Bronx. I figured he'd be very loud and outspoken. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm, I'm walking over here. Yeah. This is gonna yeah. I'm opening my window over here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for all those stereotypes, Jordan. You're yeah. very welcome. Eddie wouldn't have to do much to earn his thirty dollars a month. He was soon assigned to the kitchen patrol duty which started and ended with breakfast. Fuck, that's awesome. <laughs> when all the dishes were cleaned, benches, chairs, and tables were put away, Eddie was free to do what he wanted, especially because he was issued a Class A pass, which meant that when he was not on duty, he was free to go wherever he pleased. Hey, I know what that Damn. pass would be good and handy for if you're a rampant psychopath. Oh, oh yeah, our yeah. job. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, it's good for that. 
a Colonel A.L.P. Johnson believed the biggest threat to Camp Pell was boredom. Mm. There were a lot of soldiers with money and not and a lot of time. I almost said not a lot of time, but they have plenty of time. <laughs> While leave was not granted to all soldiers, most of them just acted like it was, coming and going as they pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. You know, that legendary uh, military discipline <laughs> really being displayed right there. <laughs> Hundreds of GIs would hit the city every night, most returning before midnight, but some, like our boy Eddie, did not. A company sergeant named Joseph Stagg started to take notice of Eddie, believing he was much more capable of a better job than a mess hall cook. Yeah, he's six foot, ripped, blonde, prototypical G.I. Joe. He, yeah. So he offered Eddie a job at one of the company's clerk positions. Eddie accepted, but would only end up lasting one day. (laughs) (laughs) What a prick. After not showing up for work for two days in a row, Stag went to look for Eddie. What he found was him pissed drunk and passed out in his his tent. Awesome. Perhaps the kitchen was the best spot for him in the end. (laughs) That's so crazy that you are at war and, like, they don't want to... They know you're a problem, so they're like, okay, serve breakfast. (laughs) Please just serve breakfast so we don't have to court-martial you. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing really seemed to be getting better for Eddie at camp. His alcoholism was intensifying, and in his eyes, he was having the time of his life. Keeping his own personal demons at bay, fights and blackouts were just a small byproduct that he could easily deal with. In late February, he caught up with his old drinking friend, Harry Vitao. The two decided to head out and do a bit of drinking in the mid-afternoon. When the clock turned 2 a.m., Harry (laughs) realized he was now AWOL from camp and wanted to return. (laughs) What did Eddie do? He wished his friend well and continued to drink with the locals. (laughs) Harry would never drink with Eddie again. (laughs) By March, his behavior was now starting to become a bit more hostile. He was known for attempting to force kisses onto the local girls and constantly putting on feats of strength to show his strength (laughs) and masculinity. (laughs) Sometimes he would return to camp drunk, enter a soldier's tent, lifting up their beds and tipping them out, (laughs) challenging them to a fight. What a Jesus Christ. (laughs) If this isn't Jordan, I don't know what This is is Jordan. You know what I do when I get drunk? (laughs) You flip Norm's bed over. (laughs) No, I I lay in my bed questioning why I drank that much because I'm... entire world is spinning around me <laughs> oh i don't like that we gotta put one foot on the floor <laughs> yeah one time his sergeant found him and another private named carlson sitting in a supplies closet clearly drunk waving around an object he described as a plonk i don't know what that it's a plonk i don't know what the fuck a plonk is thankfully an Australian soldier finally reported him to his superiors for keeping, quote, bad company <laughs> and gaining a rep- reputation amongst the locals. When the officers finally looked into Eddie's whereabouts, he had been AWOL for six days. Wow. <laughs> the commanding officer took a cab to the local cafe Eddie was known to be hanging out in, and of course, he was sitting there drinking. What the fuck? The officer told him to get into the cab, and he did so without a word. On the way back to Campbell, Eddie emotionally broke down once again and began crying, informing the officer his life was spinning out of control. Due to his infringements, Eddie would be sentenced to 30 days detention. 
Even while in the stockade, Eddie managed to get his hands on alcohol somehow. I really wouldn't be surprised if, while he was on the Mariposa hauling ass over to San Francisco, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there was, uh, if he was also able to find booze on a dry ship. He seems like one of those scroungers that could figure it out. That's true. One incident in particular, he was drunk and had managed to escape out of his confinement. The MPs were yelling and screaming (laughs) for him to return to his cell, even firing shots in the air. Fuck. But nothing phased Eddie. He continued walking until he reached the PX store, purchased himself some delicious chocolates, and returned to his cell. (laughs) (laughs) What a badass. Sometimes you just gotta get that late night munchies, my dude. Oh, I feel it. (laughs) I could go for a chocolate right fucking now. Oh, right creeping real. Sent us Reese's. A Texas chocolate. <laughs> oh, that, that rare Texas chocolate. While the incident did cause an uproar, no additional time was added to his sentence. On April 20th... Or 20. <laughs> he would be released from the stockade, but it wouldn't seem to have any effect on helping change Eddie's downward spiral, and his behavior was about to take a very dark turn. Hmm... In late April, a young woman named Doreen Justice was returning to her flat after doing some shopping in Melbourne. She exited the tram stop, and while walking back to her flat, she was approached by what she called a very polite and well-spoken American soldier. He was asking for directions, and Doreen was happy to help. In fact, she walked with him just to make sure just to make sure he knew which direction to head. Wow, what a sweetheart. You know, when we get through this, a lot of these Australian women are very, very kind to the American soldiers, and I don't think they probably should have been. No, that's like super nice. At the intersection, a few blocks from her flat, they would part ways, and the soldier adamantly thanked her for her help. Probably by, like, trying to kiss her. (laughs) Unwantedly. (laughs) Doreen then made her way back to her flat. She approached the front door, unlocked it, and swung the door open. She soon noticed that the soldier had followed her home, and before she could do anything, his shoulder came crashing into her back, pushing both of them inside the flat. Wow. The soldier then swiftly slammed the door shut and forced Doreen onto the couch. No. Doreen, though, was tough. She stood up and demanded the man to leave. He told her to shut up and sit down, but she still refused, so he grabbed her by the throat, choking her until she blacked out. She slowly regained consciousness while the man was carrying her into the bedroom, He threw her on the bed and got naked. When she was fully aware again, she took note of his erection because it had a very prominent mole on his penis. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Smartly, Doreen told the man she was having trouble breathing still. Could she possibly have a glass of water? Surprisingly, the man allowed her to. He took her by the arm and led her into the kitchen. When in the kitchen... Doreen dashed past the man and right out the front door Smart. because he hadn't locked it. God. Outside, she was screaming and shouting for help until she felt the man grab her by the waist, attempting to pull her back inside. Her neighbor, Miss O'Neill, heard the screaming and opened the door. The naked man took notice and released Doreen running back inside her home, locking the door behind him. Yes. Doreen headed over to the O'Neill home. She was safe now. Obviously... At this point, most of us would contact the authorities, but Doreen did not want to. Why? Uh, this is, I know, why? I, I couldn't believe this Cody, either. why? 
she claimed he seemed like he was a drunk and technically no harm had been done. <laughs> Jesus. What? There's plenty of harm that had been done, man. Yes, that he, is right. He choked you until you blacked out. <laughs> Moreover, the reason was because her husband did not like the police and would be extremely upset if they had gotten involved. After an hour passed, Doreen, Miss O'Neill, and her husband headed into her flat. The man had obviously vacated the premises at this point, but had left behind a single American Army singlet with the initials EJL, mm. and Doreen would hold on to this item, thankfully, because it would become important later on. This would be the first recorded incident that showed an escalation in Eddie's behavior. The day was Saturday, May 2nd, 1942. It had been a pretty standard day for Eddie, working in the morning, and by 10 a.m., headed up to get a few drinks rolling. Fuck, that's such a good life. <laughs> Fuck. He's, I would love it. <laughs> he would spend most of the day drinking at a few of his favorite locations before winding up at the Victoria Hotel. He drank here with some other Americans until closing time of around 6 p.m. One that's called for alcohol, so <laughs> it's swill time. What was it, swill o'clock? Six, Six o'clock swill. Yeah. There you go. Seemingly bored of this, he soon left and headed for the beach, sitting on the wall collecting his thoughts before a voice spoke out saying, Are you okay, buddy? It was another two GIs and a young woman named Pat. They even had beers in hand. Yo, oh, yeah. fuck yeah. That's the shortest way to Eddie's heart. Through a few that's, beers. That's the way to my heart, too. <laughs> they enjoyed some conversation until the beer began to run out. One of the GIs believed he would still be able to purchase alcohol from the Bleak House Hotel, so they handed Eddie the last beer and headed over to find out. Eddie and Pat were sitting on the beach alone when Pat looked at Eddie and told him, he was a good-looking young man, <laughs> then leaning forward to kiss him. Whoa. Eddie just thought she had bad breath and stunk of cigarettes, <laughs> not reciprocating the kisses back. The other GI soon yelled they could not, in fact, get the alcohol they had so desired, but, but were heading to a club in the city to see if it was still open. Did Eddie, in fact, want to join them? He did not, <laughs> probably because of Pat. He just told them he had other plans. Hell yeah. yeah. Boy's trying to get his dick wet. Hell yeah. Who? Eddie. Fucking Eddie. He just, Pat was kissing him and he didn't like it because she smelled like you, George. Yeah, but there's... <laughs> Cigarettes and bad breath. Yeah. He's gonna fuck her. She's leaving. And then I'm gonna fuck oh, Cody. Oh, she's leaving. Oh, that's why he didn't want to go was because yeah, yeah. of Pat. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Sorry, I should have said that, yeah. The two other GIs and Pat soon got on the tram and off they went. Eddie was once again alone sitting on the beach wall until he noticed a lady walking near the tram herself. It was hard to tell, though, because of the dim lighting from the brownout. The mysterious woman near the tram stop was 39-year-old Ivy Violet... I think it's McLeod. McLeod. Ivy Violet McLeod. She had just left from visiting her boyfriend's home and simply waiting for the tram to arrive. Eddie soon noticed from his location that she had disappeared into an alcove located between a few local shops. Eddie soon hopped off the wall, making his way towards Ivy's location. When he approached Ivy, he swiftly wrenched his hands around her neck, choking the life out of her. Soon her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and they began to fall. Instead of letting her go, Eddie fell with his hands still around her neck. On the way down, she hit her head on the concrete wall, letting out a giant crack. Both of them lay on the ground momentarily. Eddie is assuming someone had to hear them, but nobody ever came. Eddie just sat staring at what he had just done, trying to figure out what his next move was. 
He was there long enough for a few trams even to pass by. Fuck. With dawn approaching, he decided to stage the body. He adjusted her clothing to expose her breasts, moved her legs apart, bending at the knees to expose her genitals. As with most serial killers, staging the body is just another way to humiliate and dehumanize their victims. Soon, he began to hear footsteps, so he straightened himself up and walked away as if nothing had happened. And this is where we'll pick it up next week with part two of Eddie Leonsky and the sad victims that are about to come. Eddie Leonsky. This is a good series. Coach. Yes. Right. Good job. I know. Uh, it's a lot of information to get through in part one. That doesn't we, matter. We have to... I love to hear about the environment, you know, what the time period was like. What American life. involvement right. in Australia. That's pretty fucking nuts. What do you think is going to happen when the Australians learn it's an American killing their citizens? I think they're going to rise up. Uh, not going to be good. No, sir. No. Nope. Jordan, what do you think? Uh, I think this dude already wasn't a great person, <laughs> and he's about to turn into a real piece of shit. Does, yep. uh, or is, has already turned into a real piece of shit. Is he reminding you of yourself at all? Is this a uh, Jordan no, I avatar? I don't get as drunk as him. No, that is true. That is true. He's literally blasted for, like, 16 yeah. days straight or something like that, so he's having a good time, I guess. Hey, that's a fun way to live. I'll tell you that. First-hand experience. <laughs> Not for this guy. It no. sends him into a psychopathic rage to kill people. <laughs> so if you turn into a psychopath, don't drink, please. Please don't. Or drink responsibly. Just know your limits. Try not to go too far past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that we all know our limits, we're about to start to get out of the way here. So what I'm going to need all of you to do just like Black Metal Witch did, hmm. who you will hear in between the bumbles, mm -hmm. is to drop us an email at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod, Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. And now, for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes review. Our American brethren didn't hook us up this week. Okay. But... Tell me the Euro trash got us. <laughs> nope. Uh, our good friend Jenna, remember her? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jay Tranter, bro. She sent us the Canadian reviews. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, shit. Yeah. You think Canadian would be connected, but I don't think we've ever seen these. Oh, yeah. By the way, that, that dog she has, the cutest thing I've ever seen, mm -hmm. and I really want to ride a fucking horse. <laughs> Every time I see the horse, all I think is Red Dead. That's, all, <laughs> that's how convoluted my mind is yeah. right now. Anyway. So number one is from Callie, Callie Nick. Do you, you want me to do it? Just read it. Okay. I'm right. done. Skis. Jordan's taking over the <laughs> iTunes reviews. So yeah, this one, again, from Callie Nick. Uh, five stars. These guys are hilarious. I listen to almost only true crime podcasts, and I'm happy my friends told me about the Bumblebutts. Hell yeah. Ooh, they Thank tell you. the stories well, and the banter in between really makes it. Keep Thank it up. You. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. Uh, and the second one is from Monster Knitter. So they do a lot of knitting. Hey, that's on brand almost. I think yep. I've seen her on uh, Instagram. Uh, five stars. And she says, one of the better true crime podcasts mixed with comedy. I'll Excellent research. Thank you. Thank you much. I'll take it. It's lovely. I love those. Thank Hell you. Canadians. You're on. English. Hmm. Americans. Hmm. South Americans. Let's bring it all together. You forgot Asians. 
No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. Did you just listen to the whole story, Jordan? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of anti-Japanese propaganda happening You're right now. You're a sap, Mr. Jap. Mm-hmm. Watch that one. Ooh. That's Popeye. That's Popeye. Okay. That's not me. That's Popeye, Okay, bro. all right, all right. It's disgusting. Yes. The level of racism. <laughs> so with all of our racism out of the way, shall we... Uh, Let's get out of here. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode. We will see you on Wednesday for another episode of Between the Bumbles. That'll do it for me. I am Adam. That'll do it for Cody. That's me. Thank you, Cody. Thank Thank you, Adam. Oh, I always forget about the thank yous. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Cody. Excellent. And uh, love each other. Do all that stuff. And have a good weekend unless it's Tuesday. I'm going to eat the shit out of some of these reasons. Yeah, pronounced dead. And ever since then, something loose in my head. That's where it all started. Started becoming cold-hearted. I hate the fucking world. I take this weed and I spark it. Lonely kid. I only mind my own business. Fuck God, he's a cunt. I don't need him as a witness to this. Depressed as fuck and no, I just can't get over it. Yeah, I'm messed up. I don't want none of this sober shit. Weed, caffeine, nicotine and cough medicine. But no fucking amphetamines. I can't take the adrenaline. That shit makes me think so way too fucking much I can't even drink without